The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch here on womentowatch.net and WWDB Talk 860. Um, I want to give you our call-in number right off the bat in case you are listening and interested in speaking directly to our guests today. That number is 888 3306. And I'm going to get right to our introduction this afternoon because we have, um, I'm very honored and thrilled with our guest today. She's a household name and, um, she is a journalist, an author, a speaker, an entrepreneur and television host, having co-hosted ABC's Good Morning America from 1980 to 1997. And, um, even more exciting, she has a brand new television show called Alive, and it's going to be a new online breast cancer channel, uh, which was founded by Jeff Gasping and John Klein. Joan London, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be with you. We are so happy to have you here today. And, of course, I have my co-host across the desk who you know, Dr. Beth Dupree, um, who is the vice president and also a breast surgeon with Holy Redeemer Health System. So she's here with us as well. Hey, Joan. Hi, Beth. How are you today? I'm terrific, I'm happy to say. I have to tell I'm you. I'm happy to even be, be here with you today. After my last year, my uh, my nurses were very excited about me being able to talk to you this afternoon. And I have to tell you, I did lumpectomies and some ports on some patients this morning. And they go, I need to be out of here so I can be home to listen to Dr. Dupree talk to Joan London on the radio show. So whatever you do to get me out of the recovery room, I want to be home. Uh, and, you know, I got to tell you, I, um, I get in a port made all the difference in the world to me. I'm a needle weenie. I big time. You know, I grew up always thinking I'd be a doctor because my dad was a doctor. In fact, my dad was a cancer surgeon, and it just never occurred to me I would be anything but a doctor until I went to work at a hospital the (laughs) summer before I went away to college. And uh, I found out pretty quickly that I probably wasn't going to have scalpels and stitches and shots involved in my career. <laughs> yeah, but now you're you're doing a, co- a totally different side of healthcare by being an educator, and there's no better way to learn about what we need in breast cancer care, unfortunately, than going through that journey. And I, when Sue texted me Friday to say that, yeah, you were going to be our guest, I was boarding a plane coming back from teaching at a conference in Chicago, and... Um, your book was on my list of things to do, but my one and a half hours sitting on the tarmac in Chicago were well spent reading your book. So I have to tell you, I was, uh, I know the whole story and, uh, I, I, I would so recommend the ports. They are absolutely those savers, particularly for anybody who's needle phobic. Yeah. I mean, I, it was recommended to me by a nutritionist actually that I was working with. Um, and, you know, he was just concerned about me just, you know, blowing out the veins in my arms. And I didn't have really great veins to begin with in my arms. And plus he said, you know, you've labeled yourself, you described yourself as a needle-phobic kind of person. Get the port. And it 
really had a huge impact on uh, getting through my cancer care in a huge positive way. I guess that's one, you know, one more thing that would add to the, you know, the comfort, you know, when you're going through something like this, trying to offer comfort to the patients um, as as much as you can, as a doctor, Beth, I would uh, imagine is, you know, something you try to do um, in light of such a big problem that you're facing. I pretty much talk my patients into getting them because I know really? I know what happens during the course of chemo. The, you know, the veins can roll. It's difficult. You have to get one stick for the blood. You have to get another stick for the chemo. Oh, oh. And because I put them in myself, I'm very conscious of where I hide the scar because I want to make sure it's going to be hidden by the bathing suit or, or their dresses in the future. And, um, you know, it's just something I did it from the time I was a surgical resident, and I take a lot of pride in my ports. And uh, so I, I know why you needed it, why you wanted it, and uh, it sounded like it was one of those things on your journey that really made a difference. And, you know, it's interesting because you get, you get I don't have to tell you, you, you get inundated with so much information. And if you've never gone through any kind of a journey like this, a breast cancer journey with a family member or a friend, it's all new. It, they might as well be talking a foreign language. Neoadjuvant, you know, triple negative. I first heard when they first told me I had triple negative, I was like, great. Because <laughs> right. that sounded good. Right. right. I mean, it was negative to three different things, right? How could that not be good? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I mean, I learned a lot, quite honestly, from people on social media and, you know, from like my nutritionist who said, go get a port. And, you know, when I first heard you're going to have to have chemo, you think, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my hair. How am I going to look in front of my kids and the public? And then, oh, my God, I'm going to have needles stuck in my arm. That was my second thought, right, right, maybe right up there with losing your hair. And none of that actually has anything to do with the chemo treatment. These are just all the other things that start to consume you. Well, I have to tell you, as a surgeon, reading Had I Known, it was a very interesting perspective because I'm on the other side, and I, I try to educate my patients and provide them the support that they need. And what I realized by reading your book were so many of the things that you were experiencing um, each step along the way, those hurdles, those getting to that place like, yeah, I'm going to be done chemo. Oh, no, I'm not going to be done chemo. Um, the every Everything along the way, all of those hurdles, you know, all of my patients are going through them. And so, you know, for any woman who's diagnosed with cancer who picks up your book, um, whether it's breast cancer or not, whether it's some other adversity in life, they're going to learn those lessons that you so eloquently, you know, penned on that paper to be able to give them an idea of, yeah, okay, this is going to suck. And you know what? This isn't going to be fun. You know, not everybody is going to wake up in the morning feeling like they want to go out and, you know, walk their kids to the bus. But you know what? You found a way to do it. You found the strength in it. And, you know, you've given a lot of what I consider great information from a layman's perspective because I know how hard it is for me as a surgeon explaining to patients that a new diagnosis all of the intricacies of their specific cancer. But you've done it in such a way where you, you wove your story of your life in. And, and that's what I found so fascinating because I knew a lot about you, but I feel like I know you now by reading your book. I really feel like your heart and soul you know, was out on those pages. And for anyone who's willing to read your book and who should read it, um, my patients are going to get a lot out of it. They're going to they're going to see, you know what, if Joan London can do this, I can do it. 
And you know what? I mean, you said anybody going through cancer or any other adversity in life. I mean, you probably saw it out that you read it that I, I wrote it. I didn't want it to just be about breast cancer because I knew that there were a lot of people out there who could get um, get a lot out of this book that would help them through any of life's challenges. And quite honestly, I think it's kind of human nature when you face the possibility of death that you kind of take a look back at your life. What did you do? You know, what did you do with it? How did you make it through the different twists and turns? And what got you through those? Because as you kind of relive that, it kind of, I don't know, starts to build layers of strength that help you understand the kind of person you are today. But what it did for me as far as a book is it took me on a walk down memory lane and all of a sudden I thought, all right, so this is a book also for fans, you know, that, you know, it's the, the, the chapter that I just went through is just part of my story. Um, but it definitely makes you look back at your life. Uh, and it also, to me, um, it absolutely changed the trajectory of my life and, and my career. I, I've always been a health advocate. I, let's be honest. I've always been that that girl who thought I would grow up to be a doctor but didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always understood. I remember we had a doctor, Dr. Tim Johnson. You may remember him. Yes, I do. America. He was our medical correspondent. And he talked to me one day about, you know, it's got a little frustrating because people see me now and they say, oh, are you still seeing patients or are you just a TV guy now? <laughs> and he said, you know, I want to look at them and say, you know, I can be in my office helping one patient at a time, or I can be on Good Morning America and help 23 million people at one time. And he said there's, there's, there are other ways to help people stay healthy and motivate them to take care of their health and to tell them about new medications or new, uh, or, you know, how they should take medications or how they should deal with, you know, the strain of flu this season or whatever it might be. And I've never forgotten his words. And, you know, as I left GMA, I immediately, when I set up my website, I set it up as Joan London's Healthy Living because I'd always kind of been given that beat at Good Morning America. I mean, let's be totally honest. When I joined the show, you know, back in the late 70s, the female on the show didn't get the big celebrities or the world leaders. We got what was called the woman stories. You know, <laughs> yeah. health and wellness and nutrition and parenting mm-hmm. and running your home and education. And quite honestly, at the end of the day, those are the stories everybody cared about, really. Yeah. So in an ironic, kind of a weird way, I think those stories, which I was relegated to, are what really created that strong bond between me and the viewer and probably in great part um, contributed to my longevity on the show. And it certainly helped to pave my path more clearly in that what I felt I could do is to help keep Americans healthy, even after leaving the show. In every other project I've taken on and in the website and now in my new TV channel, you know, Alive with Joan, it's always with that core passion and desire and intention to help motivate women and everyone, but, I mean, specifically women, to honor their bodies, know their bodies, and protect themselves and keep themselves healthy. 
I loved your honesty, though, in the book when you said, I thought I was living a healthy diet. I thought I was doing the right things. And you start looking at your food very differently. And it sounds like you did what I'm doing in my middle portion of my life is I'm trying to eat clean. I'm trying to sleep better. I'm trying to spend that time. And people don't get what eating clean is about. It's, it's you know, things that you open up and um, come with more ingredients on the back panel of them are probably not going to be clean ingredients. And it sounds like that that was the one thing out of your cancer journey. You always were a health and wellness um, advocate, but now you've become a health and wellness, you know, survivor, thriver, warrior, because it's, I think it's become a way of your life now. And, you know, had I known, you're going to clearly see the reason for the book title here pretty soon. Had I known that only 15% of women diagnosed with breast cancer had a family history, I wouldn't have felt so immune. I, I It wasn't on my radar. I thought, and and I sometimes now say, how could I have thought this? How could I have felt that it was going to be someone else because I didn't have it in my family history? Had I known how important all of the other risk factors are, the fact that I had children late in life after 30, the fact that I hadn't breastfed for two years, you know, when you put it all together that can sometimes give you protection, the fact that I started menstruation early, the fact that I took fertility treatments, the fact that I took HRT, the fact that I was yo-yo in weight and at times had more body fat that stores estrogen, uh, had I known how important having dense breast tissue was and that it was a risk factor. Had I known any of that, that how important that was, I, I wouldn't, I was discounting all of it because I simply didn't think that it could happen to me. And had I understood the importance of, you know, more sleep, less stress, and better food choices, better understanding of reading food labels, and better understanding what food actually does once it gets inside of our body and you know had i understood just how the american food system that our food supply in this country is literally causing cancer mm. i mean I, I you it almost frustrates me now to listen to the discussions of how to fix the health care system well we'd be far better off if we fixed our food supply and if we fixed our food supply instead of catering to to the food lobbyists and all the food manufacturers and took the GMOs and took the bromides and everything out of foods like, you know, 65 other countries do around the country. You can go to Europe and eat the same food that looks like it's coming from the same box as here, except you won't have all those bad things in it because those countries don't allow it. You know, Joan, we're, aren't we so lucky today that we have so much more knowledge, though, about, you know, our food and and as consumers were b- being given this information that we never had before years ago. We really were kind of clueless walking into stores and, and buying things. Um, but, you know, speaking of informing and educating, which is what you've been doing and, and what you're all about, we actually have a caller on hold who has a question for you. Oh, so right. I'd love to bring them on. Sure. Do we have um, their? Hello, and welcome to the show. Welcome to Women to Watch. Did you have a question for Joan London today? I do. Hi. My name is Giada D'Agostino. Hi. I also um, had triple negative breast cancer, and I'm glad, Joan, that you're out there with your, you know, with your cancer and that you are an advocate for us women 
getting checked and eating healthy and living well. Um, actually, while you, while I was list, while I was waiting, I was just I heard something that I wanted to say and something about dense tissue in your breast. Um, I didn't know anything about the density of tissue and breast and how that made a difference. Um, I actually had a mammogram last year at 42 years old. It was a routine mammo, and it came out clean, and that was in August. And then in October, I found a 2.3-centimeter lump in my left breast and had a mammo after that, and it still was not. It still did not show up in the mammogram. And my breast surgeon told me um, that since I have dense tissue, it doesn't show up in the mammogram. So when I talk to women about checking themselves. I have a blog, uh, Beauty Through the Beast, so I talk about it on there, and I say, do self-exams, get mammograms, and ask your radiologist if you have dense tissue. And if you do, don't stop at just a mammogram. Absolutely. Um, and I'll tell you something. I was just like you. I Well, actually, I was sent to interview Dr. Susan Love about six years ago who wrote the breast uh, book. And yes. she's the one who, as we were just kind of chit-chatting after the interview, and she, you know, looked at me and said, so just tell me, Joan London, that you do get your mammograms, right? And I said, oh, yes, 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 I get them, and they're always nerve-wracking. They're always calling me back in for more pictures. And they say, it's not because we see anything, don't worry. It's because we can't see anything because you have dense breast tissue. And with mm-hmm. that, Dr. Love was the one who said, you go back and talk to your doctor about getting an ultrasound if you have dense breast tissue, you probably really have to have an ultrasound. So I came back, and, you know, when the year rolled around and it was time to get my annual mammogram, I said, Dr. Susan Love told me that I needed an ultrasound, and he wrote the prescription for it. But none of my doctors had ever talked to me about the need for an ultrasound or mm-hmm. about breast density. All right, ladies. So I if, if I'm a journalist, and I didn't know about it, I mean... I'm, I'm, I've got to believe that most women around the country, that this mm-hmm. is something that I really need to speak up about mm-hmm. and talk about. Because you know how they always tell us, know your numbers, you know, your cholesterol level, your estrogen yeah. and all that. Women really need to know what category they fall into as far as de- de- uh, breast density. Because if mm-hmm. you're in that last category, that fourth category... You know, I've been told it's kind of like looking for a snowball in a snowstorm. Cause exactly. Yep, me too. It shows up white, and cancer shows up as white. And if mm. I had walked out of my mammogram last June 5th, 2014, I did a 3D mammogram, and I got a clean bill of health. And it had, if it had not been for a fluke that I was sent to do an interview with Dr. Susan Love about mammograms, I would have walked out of there that day. Ladies, I'm going to tell you that I had to lobby at our hospital. And um, three years ago, we had a new technology called automated whole breast ultrasound. Prior to the ABUS, um, you could get an ultrasound, but it was very difficult to do a diagnostic ultrasound by hand. Now with the automated whole breast ultrasound, we're able to offer that next level of imaging, which I order on all of my patients with dense breasts. And we are educating doctors about doing that. And I have to tell you, my CEO, Mike Lane, was awesome because many of the other hospitals in the area didn't want to pay for the new technology. 
And I said to him, we have to have this technology because there are 40% of women who've got dense breasts and we're not giving them the best that they can have for screening for breast cancer. And we literally had it within months. And I will tell you, the patients who were finding these teeny tiny cancers whose mammograms were negative, they're very thankful that we pushed the envelope. But the word has to get out there. Women need to know what their density is. They need to know that they're at higher risk if they're dense. And they need to be asking for whole breast ultrasound. And just imagine if a new pharmaceutical came on the line and it didn't work for 40% of people, you would have that drug pulled off the market right away, or they would have to do a TV commercial that listed, that said, this won't work for 40% of the people. If a new product came online, came out today, uh, it's a crib, but 40% of babies would die in this crib, you would have the Consumer Product Safety Commission pulling that product off the market. So why is it that we have had this test, a mammogram, for decades, they, for at least two decades, they have been sending that report to referring physicians that said, this woman has, you know, either category three or four very dense breasts, and an ancillary test is probably required because the mammogram won't, the, the dense breast tissue will mask cancer in this mammogram. Why haven't women been told that? To me, that's a mind blower. The other, one of the other points, Joan, too, is with triple negative breast cancers, even if you had a fatty replaced breast, let's say you had the perfect breast to do a mammogram with. These cancers, these triple negatives, we call them interval cancers because many times they will show up in a, even in a six-month interval. You can go from nothing to a three-centimeter tumor. So they're, they're the kind of cancers. They're the reason why women do need to be doing breast self-exam. So in your case, you had dense breasts that hit it, but this isn't the kind of cancer that sits around for years and years and years waiting to erupt. That's right. These are rapidly growing cancers that can show up in the intervals in between screening mammograms, the triple negatives and the HER2 positive. But I am just so thankful because they found yours, and now you are far more than a voice to educate women. You're in passion, your passion, your power. You're using all of those, you know, the 20 years that you paid it forward by waking me up in the morning. And my mom, you know, she's 90 years old, watched you every single morning. Um, I have to tell you, now you now you have another, you have your next, you know, your next role in life, which is. Wake all these slumbering souls up to pay attention to their lifestyle and pay attention to their imaging. And, you know, we see the mortality rates, you know, that have dropped so significantly overall in breast cancer because of the fact that we have screening, we have earlier, we have, we're catching it earlier, and because we have such <clears throat> wonderful new treatments in most cases. Of course, with triple negative, you have to go to the chemo, but, you know, that is all, you know, uh, brought these mortality rates down, but unfortunately, with that young group, the under yeah. 40, you know, you see those mortality rates going up, and it's because they don't they don't think it's going to happen to them. They're too young, and all too often I hear that they go into their doctors, and their doctors are like, "What is wrong with you? You're 32. Get out of here. You're too young," or they're uninsured. Mm-hmm. And they just, they don't have the money and, you know, to try to save up the money and they don't know how to somehow navigate the system and get in to get a mammogram. And so all too often they, they, at the very, at the, at best, they wait way too long and they're seen at advanced stages, uh, stages. And at worst, of course, you know, it metastasizes and these are, 
these are not people that you can keep alive. So we, to me, it's so important. I know that my base fan base is, you know, probably over 40, but I'm hoping that every woman listening, if you have a daughter or you have a friend who has a daughter, make sure to tell those young women that it can happen at any time in your life. Whatever it is that's causing it, the American food supply, all the toxins around us, um, you know, more weight on us, whatever it is that they need to become their their own body monitors from their 20s on and really, truly um, understand what their normal is and understand breath, that your, that your breast tissue changes throughout the month with your menstrual cycle, that you start out with very dense breasts, and as you get older, usually they, you know, turn more to fatty tissue. The more you understand, the better you'll know that, say, that you'll be able to say, uh-oh, something just doesn't feel right here. And then you want to just be that patient. You know, you go and you, you make sure that you get all the tests you need until you are satisfied that there's nothing wrong. Joan, you know, with respect to this, I want to make sure that we talk about this new show that you have called Alive, which is going to be a new online uh, breast cancer channel, because there's so much information, you know, as we just talked about in just 10 minutes, um, all the things that women need to know about. Tell me what the the platform is going to be like and what women will be able to uh, see and hear there. And actually, it's already there. We launched a few months ago. It's mm-hmm. called Alive with Joan. And you can just go to on any phone, any iPad, any computer. You go to AliveWithJoan.com. You know, life has just changed so much. I don't have to go in and get a studio, get hair and makeup, right. and do the whole thing. I mean, this is a new platform where we can provide uh, very specific channels with very specific information for people who only want that, and they don't want it mucked up with anything else. And if you go to the platform, you'll see that what we've built is a community. Um, And I think it's a, you know, people woke up with me every day for 20 years. They know that I, I brought them the information of the day. I think that they trust that as they give me their questions, which they do by the hundreds every day, Mm -hmm. that I'll go find them the answers, and I'll vet those answers. And I have this amazing access to just about any expert in the country. Uh, And by the way, I'm happy to say that every expert I have called up, every breast cancer surgeon, every oncologist, every researcher, every single one of them that I have said to, I have a dozen questions that have come in. Can you please answer them for us? They've gotten onto a Google Hangout with me or I've gone to their offices. They all give me the time because they're all passionate in, about saving lives and, and they're desirous of educating the public, educating women um, in order to try to prevent, you know, breast cancer as well. So I'm, I'm happy to say that it, everyone has been so, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, so uh, generous with their time and basically, I never have to come up with a story idea, you guys. Right. I'm not surprised. I have one sitting right across from me yeah, who is, totally there's no one more passionate about, you know, um, educating women about breast cancer than, than Beth is. And she's taught me so much. You know, in the short time that we've known each other, I've learned so much from her about exactly what you're saying, preventative. We can't wait until something happens, treat it and be done. There, there's so many things we can do um, to prevent. And then God 
God forbid it does happen, there's so much more to it than just the surgery. Yeah, Joan, one of the things in your book that I, I have to tell you I really got teary about, um, the letter that Tracy wrote to you, the email, whose grandmother had been your father's patient. And when I read her story about how um, she had her grandmother around for 45 years because of the radical mastectomy that your dad had performed, you know, I often think of my kids because there were things that I missed when they were growing up. And and I know what it means to them when they're in the community and someone says, oh, my God, you're Beth Dupree's son. Your mom saved my aunt's life or whatever. And so for you to get that message on an email when you were in the throes of, you know, chemotherapy, um, did it just, it had to just knock you to your knees. You know what, Beth, you could say to me, what would you rather have, that email or a million dollars? Oh, that email. I am totally honest when I say to you I would rather have had that email. It connected me with my dad, and i got to tell you something. You know, I've said a million times that my dad was a cancer surgeon. I hadn't actually made the connection to the fact that he was saving women's lives with breast cancer. Yeah. I hadn't really kind of narrowed that down. And it might be because I remember going along with my parents many, many times. My dad was also a spokesperson for the American Cancer Society. He used to speak at all these medical conferences, and we would go along. And I can remember standing at the door of these, you know, the big ballroom to some big hotel, seeing him up there on stage with a patient. And I guess I had always seen him or at least the ones I remember, is I saw him on the stage with a man and talking about how they had taken as much of the cancer out of the body as they possibly could and anything around it and yet still leave the person whole Mm. and able to function. Because back then, that's the only thing that they could do. We didn't have the radiation and chemo that we had today. It was like take as much out of the body as possible. And I remember, I re- and my mom probably didn't even realize that little, you know, 10-year-old me or 11-year-old me was actually listening. Yeah. But I remember that. And I remember we would go out to restaurants or be out on the street and people would bend down and get right down eye to eye with me. And they would say, do you realize, young lady, how important your daddy is mm. to our family? Oh, that's well. Joan- that now uh, I do. When yeah. I, the irony is, I, as I was reading about um, this in the book and her having a radical mastectomy, I was actually flying back from Chicago, having been teaching a hidden scar nipple sparing mastectomy course. So we were teaching surgeons how to do cancer surgery, yet leave the skin envelope with a nipple intact, so that women have a complete. Um, normal form when they look in the mirror, but still get the same cancer yeah. operation. So I said, look where the time has come in, you know, a few short decades from the life-saving surgery that your dad did to what we're doing now. Absolutely. And by the way, for, you know, so many women that had mastectomies and did not have that nipple-saving kind of surgery, I just did a story, and uh, it's going to be on the Today Show because I'll be a a special correspondent for Today for breast cancer for the rest of October. Um, And I believe on the 16th, because every Friday I'll be on, on the 16th, um, we'll run a story about this guy, Vinnie Myers, who is in uh, Finksburg, Maryland, and he has perfected the art of the 3D nipple tattoo. They're, it's, they're beautiful. Women, they're amazing. Women come from all over the world 
to this little strip mall, uh-huh. to this little it's tattoo. It's crazy. I bet you they never thought they'd end up in a tattoo parlor, but there they are. And I sat and watched them be done the other day. And, by the way, and to take the queasy factor out of it for everybody, the women didn't really have much feeling in in kind of those mounds of tissue with skin over it. And they just sat there. It didn't bother them at all to get the tattoo done because ordinarily you'd think, gee, that must hurt, but it didn't. And they would turn around in the mirror and literally break out crying. I know. Because they feel all complete. of a sudden they felt complete. They looked normal again. And it meant so much to them. Joan, I have to ask you, you know, I can hear the passion in your voice as you're as you're talking. And Beth always says there are no coincidences. And I wonder if you see what the work that you're doing now really as fate. In other words, you, you, you know, as a young girl, you had these aspirations to possibly be a doctor one day and you took a different path. But here you are really focused uh, with this mission about health and wellness. Do you kind of do you believe that it's fate, that it was it was meant to be this way? I don't know if anyone knows that's such a universal kind of question is fate and destiny really at, at work here. Yeah, I do know this, that life does work in odd ways. Mm hmm. And, and I realized pretty early on after my diagnosis that in an odd way, life had just handed me this amazing opportunity to carry on my dad's legacy. You know, he was young when he, cra- when he was killed in an airplane crash, only 51, and, mm. you know, so many lives yet to save. And I, I kind of feel like he's up there saying, you know, you know, you can pick up where I left off and you can go out there and maybe even save more lives just by talking about it and educating and sharing and hopefully motivating women to, you know, to do their own self-exams and to get their screenings and never to take life for granted and, and giving those going through the challenge the hope they need, the inspiration they need that they'll get to the other most women diagnosed with breast cancer today, as you guys know, uh, it's not that that death sentence like it was 20 years ago. It is now, you know, very likely that as long as you were hopefully diligent enough to catch it at, a, at an early enough stage, that you will survive it and you'll live on. Um, I'd love to ask a question, Joan, that, you know, a little bit separate from the topic, you know, we're, we're discussing because... Um, we all know how busy you are, and you have your hands in a lot of different things. And one of the questions I had for you was, uh, you know, with all of these roles that you have both professionally and personally, I'm wondering how you manage the worry um, that comes with so many different responsibilities. I am one of the more organized people you will ever meet in your entire life. <laughs> and I've always had to be. Just think back to the to the 80s and 90s when I was doing Good Morning America, traveling around the world, had three little girls and was doing a million other campaigns and on the cover of magazines. I mean, my life has pretty much been this life Mm -hmm. for decades, and I have somewhat, I think, an uncanny ability to have 18 balls in the air at one time, and I can somehow keep them up there. Like, if you really pressed me... I could literally tell you what my... I have 21 speeches to do in a seven-week period between now and November 14th. And I can pretty much take you through. I might miss 
an airline here or there. I might say Delta and it was American. But I can pretty much <laughs> tell you where I'm going to be, what city it's going to be, what the organization is going to be, what my objective is with each one of those engagements. Um, mostly, all of, as you can imagine, breast cancer events. And, you know, I've had people on Facebook say, oh, you should be careful. That's going to, you know, it's an awful lot for you to do. But I experience it as normal. Yeah. And I find it therapeutic and I find it empowering and I find it self fulfilling. And to me, breast cancer, I know it's hard for someone to hear this, to hear a survivor it's say that cancer was a gift. But in a way, you know, my breast cancer gave me an even more purpose driven life. And any of us, who can find a purpose-driven life, that is one of the greatest gifts that we can ever encounter. And my breast cancer really did give that to me. And, Joan, that's what we all wish for for our patients. I tell my patients when they come back to the office, when you're no longer just surviving and you're thriving and you can see the gifts that cancer has given you, that means that you've actually healed. You're in, that healing process went far beyond the physical and that you have found a, a higher purpose out of the process. You, and in your case, obviously, you're a phenomenal speaker as it is. You're a, a wonderful journalist. And um, I know when I give lectures, which I give a ton of speeches on Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so my, my poultry seven talks and my airline things feel very, very small now in comparison to what you're doing. But I know when I leave there, I know that I have inspired that room and m- raised the hairs on their arms to know that, you know, their life matters and that their passion and purpose matters. And I usually speak to groups of women who have survived breast, women and men who've survived breast cancer. So I get why this has um, become such a powerful piece of who Joan London is. And I think it's awesome. And I applaud you for doing it because you could have taken the other celebrity role, which is, you know what? I'm going to Maine. I'm hunkering down. I'm going to be at the camp. Nobody's going to find me. But instead you. I thought about it for a minute or two. I'll be honest. And I was honest about it in the book. Yeah, but you know I, what? I think the most, the more honest you can be, the better service you can be to others. Absolutely. absolutely. You know, absolutely. I'm looking at, you know, one of the questions I wanted to talk to you about was how transparent and open you are. And I think that that is, that's what really connects you to other people. They can sense, you know, the genuineness in your voice and your actions and, and what you're doing. Um, I wonder if we could just talk about leadership real quick because so much of Women to Watch is about leadership. And when you when you mentioned having a purpose and really living life, knowing that you're doing something that's helping others, it really does bring great joy. Um, we, we're always trying to figure out how we can help more women pursue leadership. Um, it's often... Um, a lack of belief. What is your What are your thoughts on that, and how we can encourage more women to take on leadership roles in whatever industry they're in? Well, I think doing like I'm doing is being a role model for them, and talking about how, like I've been going to Washington. Like I've gone to Washington countless times to interview senators and congressmen, and but now I'm going there in a brand new role. I had never gone there before ever as an advocate mm-hmm. to walk in and, 
you know, push my way in and get my appointment and, and go in and share my story and convince a senator why they should vote yes on a bill that requires radiology labs to share, you know, breast density reports with women, the patient who paid for the test, who went and got the test. Um, for oral parity, you know, because so many of the new drugs are going to be coming out in oral form, and yet, you know, the way it's looked is that if you don't have infusion, if it's infusion, it's looked at as a medical expense, and it's if you take it by oral form, it's considered like a pharmaceutical, and that's not fair. Like, there's so many, there are so many different causes that I'm now involved in because I've been asked to step up to the plate and be involved in them. So I want to tell women about that because women are always looking for how can I help too. Um, and so I, I talk about that a lot on social media so they can see that I'm just kind of looking right now for the ways that that who I am and what I've done and the, the position that I have kind of in the country, how can I use that in some way to help bring about change in laws that protect women's health or that help to change our food supply. So, I mean, in essence, what I'm saying is, is show them through example. So, Joan, do you think that uh, Jamie and Lindsay and Sarah, um, that their life course is going to change um, somewhat because of this experience because it, they I, I have to tell you if I had three daughters I, I would clone your three daughters if I had to go through but I have two boys I would clone your three daughters and take them on the journey with me because um, they were so there for you you know leaving the coast and taking over the company and um, I just have to think that now um, how has all of this shifted their lives as well well, first of all, I'm incredibly fortunate to have had my husband and my three older daughters by my side throughout this. And I do hear from women all the time that say, you know, you're very lucky, but don't forget about all of us who are out here who are single moms, who are trying to get, you know, food on the table and and trying to decide whether we're going to pay our electric bill or are we going to pay for our medicine. And they all help keep me centered and remembering that I'm very fortunate having two of my daughters actually work for me and literally share my dreams, my mission, my goal in life. You know, Lindsay, um, who is a new mom, she has a little girl a year old. She runs my company. She's the vice president of Joan London Productions. My, She was off on maternity leave right as I was going through this last year. Her younger sister, Sarah, is now the producer of a live uh-huh. show. It's a family I knew, I knew Sarah would stay. I was because <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't know that at the end of yeah, the book. That's right. She supposedly came just to fill in for Lindsay for yeah. a few months, and all of a sudden we decided to launch a live with Joan, and they wanted somebody with production experience. And she had it. Come back. And they wanted somebody with one foot in the Joan London wheelhouse, like in, in my pocket. <laughs> and she, it was, her name was written all over it. She's now producing the channel so when you go and you see a live with Joan and you're going to see new content every day and all these interviews with all these experts like I'm doing some of them she's doing a lot of them wow so you know they are you have to be so proud in my they were more than just in my corner and at my chemo sessions they are there to to help advance my mission um, you know, it's interesting because I just got a, a copy of the October 12th issue of Closer Magazine, 
which has meet my grandson hmm. and it has beautiful pictures of the oldest daughter Jamie, her new little boy yeah. Mason, and down. I just saw a, the um, the quote from one of, from Jamie was. My mom has taught us the joy of giving of yourself. Oh, mm. wow. And I was like, whoa, okay, so I did something right. Yeah, knock you over <laughs> with a feather with that comment. That was a... Whoa. <laughs> when, you're, when your child says, Mom, you're doing something right, that makes is all those anything teenage, better? All those teenage years with girls um, yeah, comes back right to... Yeah, when they like when they made me grow more silver hairs right. and, put me and, and held my feet to the fire, um, you know, eventually they come back around. But Joan, I, I have to tell you, you, I'm the seventh of seven children, so oh, your, okay. your fabulously large family is such a great gift. Um, there were six girls in, in our family, I, and uh, my brother was the oldest. Um, we're also a, a family of pilots. My, my brother was a pilot. I'm a pilot. My dad's a pilot. Um, I was As I'm reading your story, it's like, so many little different pieces. You know, I wanted to become, you know, the 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 co-host of Good Morning America, but I became a surgeon, and <laughs> and I wanted to become a surgeon. I know, but get, look at all the great work we get to do now because with amazing advocacy, and and I I am certainly an advocate for my patients, but it it takes sometimes a Joan London to go through something as devastating as a triple negative breast cancer with dense breasts because people will pay attention to you. You can stick your foot in the door in in Congress or at the Senate, and they're not going to slam it on your toes. They're going to look you eye to eye, and they're going to pay attention. And for that, not that you ever want anyone to have cancer, but you've taken your cancer journey and not just said, okay, I'm beyond this, because there, there are a lot of famous people who get cancer, and this is zero judgment. There's no judgment whatsoever. But what you've done is you're taking this and knocking the ball out of the park. And for that, I give you great kudos because you could have very easily finished this and gone back to joanlondon.com doing the wonderful things you yeah. were doing. But you're, you're now helping me with the cause of that, which is my life. Well, life is all about choices. You know, I, I don't really believe that life just happens to you. So, I mean, kind of back to your fate and destiny question, I believe we create our own destiny. And, you know, I've had so many people say, oh, wow, you've had such an amazing life. Well, why is that? Because I said yes to things all along the way. Yeah. I listened. I heard opportunities. I said yes. I took risks. I took chances. And I, I looked for ways to make a difference. And I think that if there's one hope that I have for the younger generation, I think, you know, what really worries me about our younger generation is they see all of these stars that are made through reality television, but not actually by doing anything. And they are living in a land of selfies, and they are living in a land of make make videos constantly. And, you know, I kind of want to grow up and be a star and be rich. And... They don't realize it's it's the other way around. You know, if you if you I keep saying to my kids, find something that is you find your own unique passion. Find the way you can make a difference in the world. This is the charge that my parents gave me. Find out how you can make a difference in our world. How you can make your mark in the world. So your dash meant 
something, mm. you know, that little dash yep. between birth and death. Yep. And if you find that, then the finances and the and you know whatever accolades come from that. It's not the other way around. You know what, I, Joan? We have a saying in my family, uh, and the kids say it to both my husband and I, and we say it to them: make good choices. <laughs> Yes. You know, when we walk out oh. the door, make good choices. And, and you're so right. You you make those good choices, and all of the other reward comes along. But it's so much more meaningful um, and rewarding to, you know, walk out of the house every day with some type of a mission or a purpose or wanting to help others. And you know what? If I hadn't made the choice to go public and step mm-hmm. it up and, Go bald. Become this advocate mm. and go bald. All yeah. people, hello. Go bald. Yes, yes, courageous. If I hadn't made, and I, that was a scary choice, by the way. I can and imagine. I was really afraid that I don't know. I was just afraid people might take it the wrong way. That they might think I was exploiting, you know, my yeah. cancer. I don't know. You, you always try to think of what are the worst scenarios that could possibly happen, so that maybe I need to think of. You know, think this through before you really do this. And I was worried about my kids because, you know, we're like lionesses as moms. And, you know, I know that sixth grade, I had kids going into a brand new school in the sixth grade, and the sixth graders can just be so cruel anyway. And I was worried that, you know, I know sixth graders don't read people, but their parents do. And would another kid see the magazine laying around and say to my kids, Is your mom going to die? I mean, I was so worried about all those things. But in the end, the good, the good for all. Yeah. The the more altruistic choice that had this incredible possibility of saving lives and of being a voice for all these women out there who might feel like they don't have a voice. That won out. Yeah. And I don't regret it for a day. It, it was the obviously the right positive energy was put out into the universe with that picture because it all came back to me that that way. I have patients constantly who I, I tell them, you know, particularly when I speak in groups, I'll say, you know, women are more self-conscious about losing their hair than losing their breasts because they can hide losing their breast. They can't really hide losing their hair in public because it's that one thing that defines us. People see you without hair and the first thing out of their brain and in through their mouth is, Oh my God, they have cancer. Not you know, there it's we don't choose to go bald. No, we're fighting for our life. That's why we go bald. And I will tell you, I mean, I, I could feel you're grappling with it in the book, but I already knew you were bald on the cover because I saw the cover last year. So, <laughs> I mean, I knew what your choice was, but I really felt as I was reading it, had I not known that you had done the cover bald, I wouldn't have known till that minute because you, you, the back and forth about it. But I think in any decision like that, you know, you want to, you know, you want good to win out over, you know, fear. And it did. Joan, did, you know, Robin Roberts did the same thing. And I know your friends. And did she say anything to you when you were kind of struggling with the choice to do it or not? Yes. Um, You know, it it was like maybe a week after being diagnosed. I hadn't told anyone. Mm -hmm. We hadn't told our family members. I hadn't told friends. I had not said those words, I have cancer. So I called Robin and I said, all right, so I spent a week. I, I I was diagnosed. I've spent a week 
thinking about this, and I feel I really have to go public. It would be uncharacteristic of me not to go public. I've shared every facet of my life, whether I wanted to or not, right. with the public. And she said, you're absolutely right. And she said, and once you can get those words out of your mouth, out of, out of your throat, you're going to feel 2,000 pounds come off your shoulders. Mm. And what are the odds and, of the two of you? On the same station, on the same show, would have triple negative breast cancer. Not just the two of us, and Amy Robach. Did Amy, Amy have? Did she have triple negative as well? Yes, and and then oh, you have Hoda Copy over on the. I mean, what are the chances? Yeah, all the these eleven, the eleven percent cancer, the the cancer it's, that's it's supposed to be so rare. It, it is. And, you know, and she said, I mean, she took, first of all was the first person I was talking to, other than a doctor. There was actually somebody who had survived it, and yeah. lived it, and knew the path, and knew what I was about to go through. And there was such relief just talking to her. And, of course, she's just one of the nicest people that ever walked on yeah. this planet. And she just said, you know, you, first of all, you're going to, you know, you know already you're going to lose your hair. I highly recommend you don't wait until it starts dropping out in clumps. Oh, yeah. Just go shave it off. I do the same thing with it. my patients. So she's the one who encouraged me to do that so that I walked into a hair salon I'd never been to before and just said, will, will someone shave my head? And I was by myself. Oh. Um, but I, don't, I was afraid to go with someone else. I was afraid whoever it was would talk me out of it. You were doing wow. it for you. And wow. that's, I was that's, doing it and for you were, me. That was so empowering. When, when I tell women, to sh- I said, I was Joan. Day, day 14, <laughs> I say day 14 after that first chemo, you get your head shaved. Do not let the cancer control you. You take care of it. You go shave your head and off to the races. And my patients are so thankful that I am, I am very um, emphatic about that because it, it changes scary, you. It's though, Beth. It's it's, scary. it's incredibly scary. Oh, I, I listen. I've I've been there with some of my girlfriends shaving their heads with them. Uh, I, you know, we all we all get touched very close to our hearts with people that we love. And I have to tell you, I have tons and tons of patients alive, thriving, and fabulous years and decades after triple negative breast cancer. So, you know, you just you you're already on that path to surviving and thriving. So, but I'm also being very careful about what I eat. Mm-hmm. You know, I've cleaned up my diet. I mean, I really kind of went on no wheat, no dairy, no sugar diet. No inflammation. And that's treatment. hard. That's yeah. hard. And I'm stay. I'm not on it completely now, but I mean, I really pretty much took dairy, and I and as much as you can take sugar out of your diet, I took it out. Um, so I, I'm just making sure that I eat foods, you know, cruciferous vegetables and everything purple, you know, yep. cabbage, eggplant, all those things that you know are protective of us. And I'm trying to keep all those things that proliferate the growth of cancer cell out of my diet. Good girl. You know, uh, Joan, we have a few minutes left, and I did want to ask you, as as women, we all sit around and talk about this, you know, this phenomena, really, of, of cancer, breast cancer, and how much there is of it. Do you have a personal theory or opinion or sense, um, you know, of, of why we're seeing so much breast cancer? Oh, I think it's the American food supply. You do think and it's food? And- I think it's the it's a combination I think of of today's lifestyle, meaning mm-hmm. that we eat all this stuff filled with all these hormones and everything, so you start your menstrual cycle earlier, you have your children much later. Um, how many women are on fertility treatments because of our society mm-hmm. um, and and we are eating foods that are filled with carcinogens, drinking We're alcohol living. We're living in our homes filled with toxins. 
they drink alcohol. I mean, you think about all these things. We get, you know, the statistics of women today, we have less sleep, more stress. You know, all of our lifestyle, lifestyle. choices, is it all contributes to your to upping your risk of breast cancer. And had I known about some of this, I might have made some different choices along the way. Yeah, that's why the name of your book is so perfect, Had I Known. Oh, and, you know, we, we can't know everything, right? When, when I was listening to you in the beginning of this show, we really can't know everything, but we can certainly every day try to educate ourselves. And there's nothing more important than our, our health. Um, everything our else health is, is our greatest of wealth. It is, it's Absolutely. not to be taken for granted. And, uh, what the education that you're providing, um, everything that you talk about, lifestyle. I mean, this is my mantra with my patients. They think that they're only going to get the consult about whether they need surgery, chemo, or radiation. But they get the Joan London Lifestyle Lecture, trust me. That's what I'm going to call it from now on. And I'm going to give them the link right to the website. The JLL. There you go. George Burns once said to me in an interview when he was about 95, hey, if I'd known I'd live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. <laughs> what a what a great way to end this show. Joan, I'm so Thank appreciative. So Thank you so much. I know how busy you are, and Beth and I were just thrilled to spend an hour with you today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Have a great right, day. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. And we are going to put all of that great information that Joan shared with us on our website, womentowatch.net, and, of course, across all of our social media, our Facebook and Twitter page. So, uh, Beth, any last comments for our listeners? Um, It is October. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Do your mammogram. Get a whole breast ultrasound if you're dense at Holy Redeemer. And if you feel a lump um, on your breast self-exam, make sure you follow through even if your imaging is negative. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week.